Chapter 4 of The Social War of 1900 or The Conspirators and Lovers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Social War of 1900 or The Conspirators and Lovers by Simon Landis. Chapter 4 Pat O'Connor Blarney's the Deacon. Whilst Deacon Rob Stew was conjuring up a lot of shrewd deviltry and preparing himself to win to his heart the fine Lady Armington, another scene was being enacted in the house of General Washington Armington. Pat O'Connor, a peculiar disciple of the Roman Catholic faith, was conspiring with Judy McCrae, both servants to General Armington, who hated Deacon Rob Stew with a bitter hatred and their cunning plots to oust his deaconship were novel, and proved equally effectual when the time arrived for the fulfillment of their conniving. As Deacon Stew was preparing to leave the bedside of Miss Lucinda Armington, Judy McCrae was relating to Pat O'Connor what a fancy the deacon had taken to her young lady, stating that Miss Lucinda despised the old hypocrite when the following dialogue was held between the twain. "'Ah, Judy!' Darlin', and ye mane that dirty old blackguard is in love with a purty Miss Armington," said Pat O'Connor. "'And sure I do,' responded Judy McCrae. "'Be me soul, I'll trap him, the squally old hypocrite,' said Pat. "'What will you do to him, darling Pat? Be careful of yourself, for the master believes him to be a perfect saint,' replied Judy. "'Ah, and ye never mind, but send the old curmudgeon through the side door, when I'll plaster his nest for him.' "'Mark, you keep dark on the matter,' said Pat. "'I'll do it,' responded Judy, and passed toward the bedchamber of Miss Armington. And who should she meet but the general and the deacon, on their way to the library? They conversed for a moment, when Judy McCrae repaired to the library door and knocked, and upon being asked in, she said that Miss Lucinda desired her father to go to her as soon as possible. When the deacon was shown out by Judy through the side door, where another hypocrite, the faithful coachman, Pat O'Connor, was busily at work, who placed himself in such a position as to accidentally run against the deacon whilst the latter turned the corner of the house. Pat knocked the pious deacon under his chin with the top of his head, sending the lover of Miss Armington reeling like a lightning-struck bull. And no sooner had the deacon recovered his balance than Pat humbly apologized. Ah, murder, your honour, and I didn't mean to do it. Will you please to pardon an awkward Irishman? I was a-pullin' up a big stone out of the ground when I slipped and fallen struck, your honour," said Pat. I will pardon you for what you could not help doing," replied the deacon. Tanks, many tanks. But, your honour, how have you found Miss Armington?" said Pat. Very much better, Pat," responded the deacon. Your honour, please. If you should not consider me impertinent, I could tell you something you ought for to know," said Pat. Certainly. I would not consider it impertinent for you to tell me what I ought to know. But I would be very grateful to you for telling me, and if it is of any value to me, I would cheerfully compensate you for it," replied the deacon. Your Honour, please do not mention compensation, for I would serve you cheerfully, if I taught you at Cape it a secret said Pat humiliatingly. "'Most certainly I shall keep anything secret that you propose to tell me as confidential. But what is it you have to tell me? I am anxious to know it,' ejaculated the deacon. 
I will tell your honour, if ye think it not too bold and foolish, and if your honour would hold it as city, what I shall tell ye, and you'll still keep it secret, will ye?" said Pat, looking sheepish. The deacon responded impatiently. Pat, I have told you before that I would not divulge your secret, so speak it out like a good man, without hesitation. Well, your honour, I have learned lately that the Miss Lucinda Armington bees desperately in love with ye, and she bees—' "'Your honour will keep my secret, will ye?' stammered Pat. "'Yes, yes, most profoundly secret. Go on and finish what you have to say,' almost furiously ejaculated Deacon Stew. "'On me soul, ye will keep your own counsel on this matter?' mumbled Pat. "'Patrick, you insult me by your prevarication. Speak straight out, and don't be silly," said the deacon. "'I will, your honour. And do you think it, Miss Armington bees in great distress, because you do not ask her to marry you?' said Pat. "'I am confounded with delight,' meditated the deacon, and continued aloud. "'Pat, how do you know all this? Who told you?' "'Ah, and don't me darling Judy McCrae tell me all about it. Yes, and what's more, the old gentleman wants his daughter to set her cap for that Mr. Juno chap, what has saved me young lady when me horses run away wid me and almost killed us all. Now, your honour, that young man bees a great man in the eyes of the general," said Pat. "'Curse that Juno!' meditated the deacon, and mildly asked Pat. "'Do you think Miss Armington loves Mr. Juno?' "'Well, your honour, you must know that she love your honour. But then she be a faithful daughter and should the general persist in the encouragement of Mr. Juno, she might turn her affections from ye to him," said Pat. The deacon was almost frantic with delight, about Miss Armington loving him at last, but again he was in agony about the general being favourable to this infernal Victor Juno. In sooth the Irishman's conjuring proved effectual in creating in the deacon renewed ambition to gain the hand of Miss Armington whilst his determination to destroy Victor Juno was becoming more desperate. End of chapter 4